Woohoo! We've got a new series we're starting, and I kind of hinted at it there, um, where it's all about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And I don't know exactly why I was drawn to this, this topic, but it's seeming as I'm studying it more and more, these parables of Jesus about the kingdom of God, as I'm studying it more and more and, and, and reflecting on what's happening in, in our culture, in our society, in this political season, focusing on the kingdom of God is giving me some hope. It's giving me some hope. And we're going to get there in a minute. But what I want to do this morning, a few things in setting the stage for this sermon series. Uh, we're going to be looking at parables. And so I want to explain kind of what is the purpose of parables. That's the first thing I want to do. What, why were parables used? What is their power? I want to do that a little bit. And then we're going to be looking at the kingdom of God over the next four weeks. And so what is the kingdom of God? Unpack that briefly. And then finally, we're at Mark 4, 26 through 29. It's a very short, very short parable. And I want to look at what can we glean? What is Jesus trying to teach us in this parable about the kingdom of God? So first, the function of parables. The function of parables. Did I push stop or something on this? Oh, there we go. All right, the function of parables. President of Lutheran Theological Seminary in Philadelphia, David Lowe says, a parable is intended to be disruptive, to interpret what you thought you knew and not just teach you something, and I love this part, but actually to confront you with a surprising and often unwanted truth. Parables are used to disrupt to interpret what you thought you knew, to confront you with a surprising and often unwanted truth. He continues, parables are useful when the truth you want to share is difficult, whether difficult to hear, comprehend, or believe. If you consider, uh, I think the greatest example that I can think of in this that really gets to this point is when Nathan, the prophet Nathan, encounters David after David has done the dirty deed with Bathsheba and Uriah. You remember this scene? David has stolen another man's wife. He's usurped his power and authority and said, I am going to take this woman because I can, because I'm the king. And then when she happens to become pregnant and, oh gosh, this isn't quite going well, what does he do? He gets rid of the problem by getting rid of her husband, sending one of his greatest warriors to the front lines where he will certainly be killed. This is not a good situation. And Nathan needs to confront David. He, the, Nathan, the prophet, the one speaking on God's behalf for the entire kingdom, needs to confront King David about this terrible thing that has happened. And you remember what he does? He tells a story. He says, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and one poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it. He let it drink from its own, his own cups. He treated this little lamb like his child. He says it even slept in this man's arms. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Nathan tells the story. He confronts David. David responds, as surely as the Lord lives, this man must die. What does he do? He condemns himself. He condemns himself. And one of the most dramatic moments in all of Scripture, Nathan, I just, just imagine this scene. King David, one of the most powerful rulers ever, is being confronted here, and this prophet looks at him and says, you are the man. Whoa. 
Do you think he would have heard it had Nathan just walked in and said, hey, buddy, we know what you did? No, he, he condemns himself. He's confronted by a, a difficult truth, a truth that David himself does not want to deal with, does not want to hear but he's confronted with it because he hears it in the form of a story. And so this parable, it disarms David and David ends up condemning himself. Jesus used parables in a similar way. The kingdom of God, it was not a new idea for Jesus' audience. This was not a new idea. The kingdom of God was an idea that was around. Uh, they knew about the kingdom of God. They knew that for their ancestors Israel, the, the, that God was king. That's the way early on that all of this was established, is that God was king of Israel. They didn't need a king like the other people because God was their king. God was the one who showed up, and sometimes we don't like that language of showed up, but God showed himself to the Israelites when they were in slavery in Egypt. He came, he said, I see you, I hear you, you are my people, and I want to rescue you. And he showed that he was a greater God, greater king than Pharaoh, greater than all of the so-called gods of Egypt. God showed that he was king. And as the people traveled in the wilderness, they, they created this ark And on the ark that they carried was a throne where God sat, where God's presence was there because they were to be reminded time and again, God is king. They knew about the kingdom of God. And even after they said, we want a king, a human king like all of our other people, God raised up David, a man after his own heart, who was tragically flawed. We we just heard that story but who God said, I have a special relationship with David and there will always be a king like David sitting on the throne, the kingdom of God. And as long as the people continue to follow God, as long as the kings continue to help people follow God, the kingdom of God is present in Israel in a powerful way. But what happens? There's kings that don't follow God. This is kind of the whole biblical trajectory here, the story. There's kings that don't follow God. They lead people astray. And as God says, you have rejected me, then so the people go into exile. And, and after exile, they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting for the Messiah, a king like David, because God made the promise, God made a promise that there would always be a king like David, so God, come through on your promise, and the people hundreds of years later, later are waiting for the Messiah, a king who would establish God's reign on earth once more, save them from the Romans, a king who would come and reestablish the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God was not a new idea. It's not a new idea that Jesus said, hey, I've got this clever trick I want to teach you. No, this was something that was so deeply ingrained in the religiosity of these people, so deeply ingrained that Jesus needed to confront everything they thought they knew. You get that? I I didn't really catch that until I started thinking about these parables, that this was so ingrained. And remember, they reject Jesus because he doesn't fit the description of the Messiah that they want. Because they thought they knew everything that the king, the Messiah, the coming one would look like. Surely he would ride in on a war horse followed by an army, get rid of the Romans, all would be good again. But when they're looking at this guy, Jesus, he doesn't fit the description. So Jesus has to confront them. In fact, he kind of has to ruin everything they thought they knew. These false ideas they had developed. 
One scholar says it this way, and I, if you're starting to get to know me, you know that I love words, and so there's some crazy words in here, and that's why it stuck out to me. He says, with Jesus, the device of parabolic utterance, oh yeah, parabolic utterance, is used not to explain things to people's satisfaction, but to call attention to the unsatisfactoriness of all their previous explanations and understandings. Don't you love that? Don't you love it that Jesus comes to ruin all of our previous explanations and understandings? To confront us with things that we thought we knew, we thought we understood, to open our eyes to new realities, kingdom realities, that we can only get in listening to Jesus. So Jesus teaches in parables to confront the commonly held assumptions about theological concepts such as the kingdom of God. He came, one author said, to knock the props from underneath them that we might wake up and see that God is indeed doing a new thing. He uses parables to disrupt, to confront people with mystery, that in the confrontation we wouldn't be beaten down, but that we would actually discover the truth. So let's look at Mark chapter 4, 26 through 29. So we've looked at what are parables about. We've looked at this idea that the kingdom of God was already an idea going on in the people's minds. Now let's look at this particular parable today that we might try to understand what is it that Jesus wants to confront his hearers with and what is it that we also need to be confronted with in hearing this parable anew this morning. Mark chapter 4, 26 through 29. He also said this, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Because the harvest has come. It's an interesting parable, short and sweet. Can, uh, it's been interesting, though, reading some things because this can be very easily misapplied, misused, misinterpreted. Some have looked and said, like, well, so is Jesus saying God is like the guy sowing the seed? If so, he's pretty lazy. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't know how it's growing. That's not really a great de- description of God. Some have said, well, maybe the disciples are like the man who sows the seed, and this is a call to don't be lazy. Get off your can and get something done. Quit going to sleep and rise. Come on, work a little bit. There's all these interpretations out there, but what, what's interesting here is, and I really want to just get to uh, not these bad interpretations, but to where people agreed. Because I think there's something really huge here uh, in, in that kind of confronting us about the reality of the kingdom of God that Jesus is calling us to. This parable is about sowing seed, and in this parable, the kingdom of God is the seed. The kingdom of God is the seed. It's sown into a field, and this seed sprouts, it grows, though nothing is done to it. That is an interesting thing. It is not cultivated. That is the point of the guy. He just sleeps and he rises. It's the passing of time that's happening. It doesn't have anything to do with him being lazy. It just has to do with the fact that he's not doing anything, and this seed that is the kingdom of God is growing all by itself. 
key to this verse is in verse 28. And we kind of lose it. It's interesting. This is one of those times I'm not really always fond of saying like, well, the Greek says, because sometimes I'm like, I don't know Greek enough to be telling you all what the Greek says. But in this case, in verse 28, the very first word translated there that we say all by itself is the word automate, automatically, the seed grows. Automatically, all by itself. This is a huge point in the parable that the kingdom of God grows all by itself. It's what this seed does when it is sown. It is what the kingdom of God does when it shows up. When the kingdom of God is present, it does stuff all by itself. It produces life all by itself. The kingdom of God, take that in for a moment, the kingdom of God works without you or me. It works without us. That, that kind of challenges some of our understandings of the kingdom of God, I think. At least it did for me as I really thought about this, that the kingdom of God is happening all around us right now. It's present. It's happening. Whether you see it or not, whether I see it or not, whether you're doing anything about it, it's happening. It's present all around us. So how is that kind of disruptive to the people's understanding of the kingdom of God or to our understandings of the kingdom of God. See, the people at the time, as I said, they were waiting for this conquering war hero. They were waiting for a king to ride in who would overthrow the Romans. And there were some that were so desperately wanting that to happen. These zealots who were willing to take up military might, willing to take up arms, willing to go to violence, that they might somehow force God's hand. You know, if we can get together, maybe we all can get together and we can get rid of these Romans and that would make God's kingdom show up, right? Let's do that. And they tried time and again. And it kind of was like, maybe you can get the wheels going enough that God would kind of go like, oh, that seems interesting, and then God would come and help. It's kind of a crazy idea, but maybe not too far from some of the things that we do as well. Then you had the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious authorities of the day, who they had a similar idea that they could kind of force God's hand, but theirs was through what? through kind of this movement of righteousness. If people would just start obeying, if they would just start obeying all of these laws, maybe that's the problem. We haven't obeyed all the laws, and if we can obey all the laws the right way, then that will make God go, oh, good, they're getting it. I'm gonna come save them again. And so there's these kind of differing opinions, these ideas on either end of the spectrum of ways that maybe through human efforts, we can get the kingdom of God to show up a little bit more or get God to finally come and save us if we just did this, if we just did that. I believe it's something that we need to be confronted with today as well. I was just at a pastor's gathering this last week and I heard somebody say these words and all of a sudden now some of the language that we use is, is starting to, I'm hearing it with different ears I'll say after looking at some of these texts and wondering if, if Jesus isn't calling us, calling me, to, to be more careful with our language as well. This guy said, blessings on you all as you do battle for the kingdom of God. That's not like blasphemous or heresy or anything. I'd be like, whoa, 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 buddy, knock it off. But there's something in that language that makes me think that there's, we have taken on some understanding that we need to do some stuff to get this kingdom of God thing going. We gotta, we gotta shape up and we gotta get, it's kind of going back to, the very thing Jesus was confronting. We need to do something as people of faith to get this thing going because God can't do it on his own? Because the kingdom's not producing all by itself? 
Jesus is confronting us here with the harsh reality, I think, that it's happening without us. The kingdom of God is happening without us. I have this sense that Jesus is saying, wake up. It's already here. The kingdom's here. It's already here. It's growing up all around you without your effort, without your even knowing it. And this phrase went through my mind. Chad, the kingdom doesn't need you to flourish and grow. It grows all by itself. But God is inviting you to participate in the kingdom, to point out where you see it, and to show other people and say, come along, come with me. There it is. Let's go check it out together. And this is really the good news. Jesus shows up on the scene in Mark chapter 1, and Mark is so interesting. I talked about this a couple weeks ago, because Mark has no birth narratives, none of that. Mark just gets to going. Jesus is like 30 already. I don't know how he got there, but he's 30 already. We don't need to know about that, apparently. And he's doing ministry. And Jesus says, his, his words, Jesus' first words is, the time has come. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The time has come. Oh, we're waiting. We've been waiting for the kingdom. We're waiting for the kingdom, and Jesus comes, and he says, it's now. It's happening. It's here. It's here. Believe it. It's here. The kingdom has come. Where? Near. It's near to you. It's here, Jesus is saying. Jesus proclaims that in his presence on the earth, as God has put on flesh, come to earth, that this has now kick-started a series of events where the kingdom of God, the fullness of the kingdom of God is going to be understood and experienced on this earth as it is in heaven. Do you believe that? Do we believe that? Because sometimes we're a little bit like, ah, that's a heaven thing. I'm not so sure I see it here. And that's why this stuck out to me because I think that if this is true, if what Jesus says is true, that the kingdom of God is here, the time is now, it's here, it's growing up all around you, it's growing up all by itself, it's producing fruit like crazy, with or without you, it's growing, that should give us hope. That should give us hope. It should make us surprisingly optimistic in the face of all the chaos in our world. I was thinking about this, thinking about how my Facebook feed and Twitter feed and all of these things are just full of negative stuff right now. I mean, I don't know what yours looks like, but mine is a train wreck. I look at it, I'm like, oh gosh, what political leader did what this week that we need to throw mud about? What person did this? And then you throw in a, a hey, just throw in a, hur a hurricane in the midst of all that. That's fun. And, and I'm just looking at it, I'm like, this is a depressing time. And I hear people saying, this is the worst times ever. It's all so bad. And instead, I'm looking at this and saying, but if the kingdom of God is present, if the kingdom of God is present, if Jesus is right and the kingdom of God is present and it's growing up all around us without our efforts, I think we're paying attention to the wrong things. I think I'm paying attention to some of the wrong things. It's interesting because we're so polarized in this ugly political season. And it's this season where people are, you know, uh, if you're concerned about this, worried about that, vote for me. You're afraid of taxes, vote for me. You're afraid of Muslims, vote for me. You're worried about jobs, healthcare, social security, border control, growing national debt, unrelated businesses, vote for me. Concerned about your religious freedoms? I'm the one that'll protect those. Because, you know, everybody comes through on that one for us. If we can just get our candidate, then the kingdom of God might show up a little bit more. All of this kind of presupposes that, right? Gosh, if we could just get the right 
Supreme Court justices, the right Congress, the right, if we could get all of this stuff, then somehow the kingdom of God will just show up a little bit more. Isn't that the way it will work? Now, I know nobody in here can resonate with any of these sentiments, but you can imagine. You can imagine. So Jesus comes along, though, and he says, the kingdom of God, it's being scattered everywhere, all among you. It's here. The time has come. It's growing up all by itself. You can go to sleep in peace. You can be like the man in the parable. Go to sleep in peace. You can wake up and have your cup of coffee. It's not that we ignore the things going on in the world. Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. It's not that you ignore these things. But it's that it changes our eyes. We can rest easy. We can see that the kingdom is working. It's growing as we go about our daily business. And the question is, that I found myself asking myself this week is, is, do I believe that? Or do I still, am I still hanging on to some sense of, well, I have to do something. We need to do something to make this kingdom thing happen. Whether that's through pol- political things that we think we need to do or a movement of righteousness that we think we need to do or, or whatever it is, if it's personal holiness, if it's these things that we, we have this idea or I, I find myself still holding on and seeing others holding on to this idea that we need to do something or this kingdom of God thing might not happen. It's a little arrogant when we really think about it, right? I recently heard someone describing what are now being called novel ecosystems. I thought this was a really good example of the kingdom of God flourishing all around us, even in dead places, decaying places, abandoned places. These are ecosystems where seed is planting itself. You have abandoned railways, Abandoned railways. Abandoned, I love these, uh, I, I don't know why, but I like to, to look at these things sometimes on the internet. If you just look up abandoned places, you'll find all these places completely abandoned. Amusement parks, homes, entire islands. This is a, a, obviously a water slide park. And what you notice in these is that the, the grass, the animals, the insects, the plants, they're growing up all around these things. They're taking the places back over. So it's a place where we humans have abandoned these places and said, it has no use to us anymore, it's decaying, it's, this is just, it's rotting, it's terrible, it's not worth anything, that all by itself an ecosystem develops. All by itself, life emerges. Life emerges. One of my favorites, I think I have, oh, that one, one of my favorites piano left out, ah, it's worthless, it's all broken up, and a tree grows right through it, all by itself, all by itself. All these things abandoned, left to rot, left for dead, not worth anything anymore, hopeless, and yet seeds are planting themselves. Life is springing up New ecosystems are emerging. New life, what was, from what was considered dead, worthless, new life. And isn't that a picture of the kingdom of God? Isn't that a picture of the kingdom of God as Jesus describes it? And this again should make us optimistic, full of hope for our world. Because if the kingdom of God is present in any way whatsoever, there should be hope. If it's present at all in any way whatsoever, there should be hope. And we should have that hope because the kingdom brings life in the midst of death. 
In the midst of terrible things like, like a, a hurricane in Haiti, there will be stories of life. There will be stories of renewal, of redemption, of human beings responding out of some capacity in their hearts to care deeply for others. What is that? What is that implanted in us, even in those who don't know Jesus, to go and want to care and love others? What is that? If not that the kingdom of God is present and it's growing all by itself and moving people to action whether they know they're doing it for the kingdom or not. And so the question is, who will participate? Who participate not in cultivating the seed, working really hard to produce more kingdom, It's growing by itself, but who will participate in pointing out the moments that they see and saying, come with me, come with me, come check it out. It's over here. I see God at work. Come on. I want to show it to you. I don't want to keep it for me. I want to show you. The kingdom of God is present right here, right now. One scholar said it this way. He said it means that it's not about someplace else called heaven where all of this is happening. Hang on to this for a second. Nor is it about somebody at a distance called God. God is up there doing his kingdom stuff in heaven. And we're just stuck down here. He says, rather, it's about this place here. And I love how he says this. In all its thisness and placiness. And about the intimate and immediate holy one. Intimate and immediate holy one. Who at no distance from us at all. Do you believe that? No distance from us at all moves mysteriously to make creation true, both to itself and to him. This parable proclaims that God is at work in this world. God is at work in the mess of this world. We have to remind ourselves that when we start to thinking, like, it's just, it's just, like a bumper sticker I saw, like, where are we going and why am I in this (laughs) handbasket? Tracking with me there? Tracking with me? Okay, it's an an old phrase, but I I like that one. Sometimes we look at that and we go like, that's just where we're going. But the kingdom of God is present. And it's growing. And there will be a time, Jesus says in this parable, when the grain will be ripe and a harvest will happen. And the kingdom will be fully present. And that will be a glorious day. But until then, it's still growing all around us. And we get to take notice and point out where we see it. David Lose, who I quoted at the beginning of this parable, I want to close with this. He said, Perhaps the faith we hold, the bits of the kingdom we have perceived, can only be offered with delight, no strings attached. With the same enthusiasm and generosity, I love this image, of a child sharing a dandelion ripe for blowing. Have you seen a child? Have you seen, you know, when the kid picks it up and is this is just the most amazing thing they've ever found in their life and they want to show it to you and they want to see those seeds spread and they might even invite you if, they're, if they are generous. My kids aren't always. They're not in here so I can say this. Sometimes they, they want to, there's four of them though so they got to fight for every dandelion they find. But the generosity of saying, let's spread these seeds. Let's spread these seeds. The seeds are spreading. They're growing up all by themselves. Let's be a part of it. So let's allow this parable to confront our understanding of the kingdom of God, our our sense that we need to do more to make it happen. Let these words of Christ confront us that we would be diligently looking out for the kingdom of God, for moments where the kingdom is present. Where is it present? All around us, already growing, already active. Let's be on the lookout 
for those things. And then when we see them with great delight, with great joy, let us share those moments like a child sharing a dandelion. Would you pray with me? God, the, the first part of this is just wrapping our, our minds around the truth that your kingdom is present. There are moments, God, where that is so true. It's, it's, it's so obvious to us, God, that your kingdom is present. And then, Lord, there's times where we just, we confess we find it hard to believe. That we just don't see it. And Lord, so help us to trust you that your kingdom is present, is active, is working. Help us to develop eyes to see. And then, Lord, give us the nudge to invite somebody to come along with us to check it out. Lord, that others would begin to see and others would begin to see and others would begin to see that your kingdom is growing, producing fruit, and we get to be a part of it. God, thank you that you came to this earth to save us. You sent your son, the full embodiment of God, to walk this earth to introduce us to the joys of the kingdom of God. We are so thankful for Jesus. We pray this all in his name. Amen. Would you stand for our closing song?